0: After the premieres of our interviews on Saturday night, we like to get together for a live show. It isn't Saturday Night Live, but it is Socialist Night Live. we
1: we'll keep the red flag flying.
0: Hello and welcome to Socialist Night Live, um, we've got some great guests for you tonight and uh, one of them has just had an interview with us, a lot of you all have watched that, I hope you really enjoyed it, I, I certainly did as an interviewer, um, I was a, I'm a little touch embarrassed that I did declare my interviewing technique perfect because I sound like a right arrogant prat, but um, the, the subject of the interview was absolutely outstanding, so we've got Paul, hi Paul.
2: Well, all right. See you again.
0: Not so bad at all. Um, So, did you enjoy the interview? You know, like, uh, was it? Did how? How did you think it went? You won't have seen it yourself, but
2: no. So I don't. I won't have seen it myself. But also, I don't know if you remember the night we did it. I'd completely misremembered, so I thought it was the next day. (laughs) So I was just settling in to watch Liverpool lose to Burnley when you messaged me, and I thought, well, that's tomorrow. Uh, So hopefully, it didn't look like it was just uh, (laughs) off the cuff and last second. But No, it was a great interview, and I think. What he's doing with the Socialist Think Tank project is brilliant and sort of exploring that question of what is socialism is really good and you know we're doing that with the political education project as well. It's the first sort of topic we're covering uh, as part of the 10-week course and it's important for people to reflect on that and to hear other people's views on it. So yeah, I really enjoyed it.
0: Thanks. Oh Excellent. I'm really glad to hear that. Um, I've just realised I am backwards. So for a second what I'm going to do is next I'm going to, um, I'm, I'll be flipped so everyone will see me in reverse at the moment I think. Oh, will they? Yes, I don't they will.
1: Understand what you're talking about.
0: Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. Actually, no, no, you won't. It's not a problem. Don't worry about it. So, um, so what I'm going to come to next is I'm going to come to Laura, Laura Hi Smith, you. um, beloved of the left of the Labour Party. Lost your seat last time around. Absolute, um, absolute travesty to have happened. How are you doing, Laura?
3: See, I've had a, a similar problem. That I thought what we were doing today, tonight. I thought that was last night. So between us, we can't. None of us get the right time. Uh, but we've all managed to come come together this evening, eh? Managed somehow. Yeah. Up. But yeah, no, I'm alright.
0: I'm okay. Thank Excellent.
3: You.
0: <laughs> yeah, kind of, Listen, kind of. Uh, I, I am, I am definitely backwards. Uh, I've realised I don't realized understand this. what
1: that means, but as I explained. Uh, so just so eaten, so like,
0: so now something weird will have happened and everyone who's watching will have seen my camera flip around and all of a sudden i won't be backwards but i'm now backwards to me it's a really weird thing so uh you know yeah don't
3: worry about it like I said to you before, I've just managed to break a world record, I reckon, by eating a Chinese in about four minutes. <laughs> so there's a good chance that I could actually be sick. <laughs> but
2: well, it'll be, it'll the, be the Chinese so not the bee, to be. It'll be the Chinese not to be. we set a few time records for getting true food because if you didn't get through it, it was asked to play before you
0: <laughs> Um And we've also got James with us uh, from Socialist Think Tank as well. Hello. Hi, just going to give us a hello because we've uh, already introduced hello. yourself.
4: <laughs> yeah, yeah. i have introduced myself. Uh, ne- if it's a, a man dark, who needs beautiful. no introduction. I'm, um, i uh, um, uh, he's in social media, and an IT officer, um, and I'm also a socialist think tank doing a majority of the background work on IT, and again, social media strategy, that type of thing, editing videos where possible.
1: Me.
0: Brilliant. So um, the the first thing I want to talk about um, is. The point of that interview and and the the theme of that interview was about political education and I know this is something that both of you are really, really passionate about. You've just set up something called the Political Education Project. So I'm going to pass it over to you two. You can decide who goes first and just have a little discussion. Tell us a little bit about the Political Education Project and why people should get involved. Do
2: you want to go ahead, Laura?
3: I was going to say, you go ahead, Paul, because you are a smooth operator on this one. <laughs> you've got it absolutely nailed. And by the time you finished, I reckon my Chinese will have digested a little bit old.
2: more. <laughs> um, so yeah, so again, if anybody watched the interview, they would have seen we discussed there, Paul, and um, hopefully people have seen it on social media. We launched about three weeks ago, I guess. And we've started off with a uh, 10-week online course looking at five different topics, and the first one, tying in with the Socialist Think Tank Origins series, is What is Socialism? Um, but more broadly, what the project is, and again, this is because I've, I've known Laura now for about a year and a half, two years, uh, forced off through my work with the Left campaign, which was making the socialist case for leaving the European Union. And Laura was one of a, a tiny, tiny handful of Labour MPs with the conviction and the vision to understand what a socialist position around Brexit should have looked like Um, but unfortunately the people who uh, held sway within the Labour Party, within the PLP managed to scupper that for everyone and and set us back a good 10 years and hand the Tories power (laughs) on on a silver platter. So I've known Laura for a while and, and again before we um, even set up left, one of my, one of the arguments I've been making for a few years is that political education was a massive problem in the sense that it wasn't being done in any way seriously, either by the Labour Party, by Momentum. Uh, the trade unions do do some work with their members, but again, the orientation is slightly different, and all of the small groups on the lab, on the left within Britain have a very sort of Particular insular dynamic, and are still engaged in debates about um, what the correct response to the Kronstadt should have been, and so forth. And so it's a very different dynamic. So I've been having these conversations with Laura and with other people for years. And then um, after the election in 2019 in Manchester, we decided, right, we would just start. Uh, this has to be done. So we started up a small group. Laura was part of that, and a lot of other good trade unionists and community activists. And we started this online format where we'd meet every two weeks or so. Um, The group would collectively choose a topic. One person within the group would then pick readings and would lead off the discussion two weeks later. And we've just been developing it like that. Now it's informed by a lot of stuff in the background politically. It's informed by the idea of working class self emancipation and about empowering working class people to be able to take part in all the struggles uh, that are central to our lives. And also, what's called the Freirean sort of pedagogical approach. So based on the work of Brazilian educator Paulo Freire. And again, it's about people learning through doing themselves. And so we've been, you know, the, the Beehive, it became known as the Beehive in Manchester, which is a sort of callback to the Chartist movement and one of the most popular newspapers at the time it was called the Beehive obviously the link of uh, B is to Manchester. So we've been running that for about a year. It's gone well, but again, it was clearly insufficient. Um, and again, I think all of you are involved in Labour, so I can probably say things that you can't, but like the, the pivot of the Labour membership from someone like Jeremy Corbyn, who was a decent social Democrat, to someone like Keir Starmer who was a restoration centrist uh, candidate showed that within the Labour Party there wasn't any serious political education. Uh, if people were actually duped it's even worse than, <laughs> than it looks. Either. So um, we just started in the political education but realised it needed to be done on a much grander scale um, with the defeats the left has suffered in Britain and the United States, but also in continental Europe, whether it's Podemos or Syriza or whatever it was, we knew that this had something we have to do. We know that if we don't put in the foundations and sort of empower people to engage in, whether it's party politics, the trade union, the communities, if we don't do that work and support people in that, well, then we just rush headlong into another round of defeats. And um, so we're hoping to support people. Again, our, our approach to it is, we're not coming to people with the answer, we're coming to people with a set of tools and a set of supports to try and help people do it themselves. We're very much influenced by the sort of maxim that the Black Panthers had, which was sort of each one teach one. Uh, We see it with ourselves actually, so I only met you Paul two or three weeks ago and we did the interview, but since we've launched the political education project, Socialist Think Tank has taken the initiative and stepped in and done audio recordings of the readings that we're asking people to walk through, and we're seeing it we know that people in the trade union branches are forming groups to do the reading. We know that people in um, tenants unions and other reading groups and so forth are getting together. So that's exactly what we were hoping to see. Uh, it's a first step. We need to do a lot more. We need to build up resources and capacity. But it's a first step in the right direction.
3: I told you it was good. Summed <laughs> uh, so that just, up well, didn't
4: they? <laughs> yeah. So just to touch on the point of uh, the audio recordings uh, and all the work, what you've been doing with that mm-hmm. at the moment um uh, it, it really helps people like me so I'm dyslexic yeah. um and I've struggled with uh like attention deficit disorder all my life and it's really hard to concentrate and, and especially when it's hours worth of reading um uh, I, I just kind of focus on that like maybe a couple of articles that's perfectly fine it, it, it just when when it does come very time consuming like I just have. Some people just haven't got the time in the day, for example. So I think the audio format for me works perfectly well. I haven't really got time to read like a solidified book, hours worth of reading. I haven't got time for that. Yeah. Um, but with it on audio, I can sit and I can sit and be doing work. Or I can sit and do exercise. I can be potting around the house doing housework while I've got the audio book on, yeah. um, and uh, it, 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 it's much easier and convenient for me.
2: No, I mean I think I think you're spot on there, and I guess sorry but before Laura comes, just to say that we've also had people that have just gotten involved who have started because me and Paul discussed this briefly, but people have started producing a glossary uh, of terms that are perhaps unfamiliar. So again, I'm I'm sort of somebody who's. Um, when I was younger I was kicked out of school, but once I got back in, I've been in sort of education now for about twenty odd years and I and I sort of work in university and I'm I've read a lot of this stuff and I'm familiar with it. So the terms are familiar enough to me. And even then we we had a discussion and we tried to go for the most accessible stuff we could find, and sort of you know uh, stuff that was well written and open in that way. But even with that, absolutely, we're aware that people are coming out all different sorts of level of starting points and and sort of different challenges and so forth. And so the audio recordings is brilliant. Another people and another person and now a group of people taking the initiative with this glossary. And here's the thing: is that again, we 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 have big ambitions for the project, and Laura can can talk about it. We've got really big ambitions for what the project could do and the contribution it could make to rebuilding independent working class Education in Britain, Ireland, and further afield. But even if it does nothing else after the first 10 week course, the fact that we'll now have a library of audio recordings of really important texts, the fact that we now have this updated contemporary glossary of key terms, that'll be an immense source for people going forward, whatever else happens. Now, we're hoping to do an awful lot more, but we've already started off really strong. Sorry, Laura.
3: Yeah, no, absolutely. I think it's, um, I agree with you as well, it's about how we can make it as accessible as possible to as many people as possible. Um, One thing that always uh, people can't believe really when I tell them, because I'm really odd in that I was one of the few, I am odd anyway, but one of the few truly working class people to ever get into parliament. You know, the first time I walked into parliament was as, a member of parliament representing my hometowns. I'd never been there before. I'd only ever been to London a handful of times because let's face it, it's expensive to go down. So um, it just wasn't something that was open or possible to me. And when I went in there, I thought to myself, God, I know I'm a good campaigner and I know that I can speak to a crowd and I know my politics and I know I'm pure of heart, but I'm not gonna be able to hold my own here with these people because they've all, been to posh universities and they've had loads of money spent on their education and I I kind of thought, oh my God, I'm gonna be found out as being as being daft. Um it took me about three weeks to (laughs) realise that it wasn't me who was daft or or um, you know, away with the fairies. It it definitely we we forget how much life experience working class people have and the fact that they are the people who can bring the true energy and change to a debate um it isn't the people who sit talking the talking the talk and walking the walk but basically not having a scooby's what life is actually about and what needs to happen in our communities to uh, to change change the way that things are for working class people so i totally get it and sometimes i read this stuff and it takes me quite a while to digest it and I'll I have no shame I'll speak to as many people as I need to to be able to understand it and to get my head around it and I I had I did that in parliament like Paul said um I was one of the one of the only people (laughs) at some points I felt like the only one making the case for exiting the EU um as you know the socialist case for that but I didn't go in as an expert in in Europe but I, what I did do was I, m- I made sure that I found out the answers in whatever way that that I could. If I didn't understand something, I went back and I asked and um, I delved deeper because I had a responsibility to do that. There's a lot of people in there who, who don't put that kind of effort in. And most of those ones are the ones who have had an awful lot of money spent on their education. So I think... Um, If only working class people believed in themselves a bit more, imagine what we could do. And that's what I hope comes out of the Political Education Project. I hope that we're able to empower people, that we're able to motivate them to be able to develop themselves, to start looking at what's happened in the past, um, the good bits and the bad bits, and how we then move forward in the future. And I definitely think we can do it. But I think what we need to do and what this is about is we stop waiting for somebody else to deliver it um it didn't come in the corbyn project that uh that political education wasn't developed in the way that it was necessary we spoke to yes they did it and they spoke to a, a certain group of people but we didn't reach the working class people those uh people in labor heartlands we didn't reach them so let's do it ourselves and who's that be- who's best place really then the working class people living and breathing it every day. Don't wait for the Labour Party to do it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, um, just a couple of things on the chat. Uh, you're getting a lot of love, Laura. People think you're brilliant. Oh, that's nice. Um, and brilliant. if anyone does want to, uh, if anyone does want to put a question in the chat for the group, um, then please do. Please do because uh, I can see absolutely everything on every platform, uh, whether that's Facebook, whether that's Twitch, whether that's Twitter or uh, whether it's YouTube. So I, I do see absolutely everything. And if I miss you, it's not because I don't like you. It's just because I'm rubbish <laughs> at my job. So, <laughs> right. So one of the things I wanted to bring up here at this point was, do you think that a lot of, like, so I, I read the, the, the podcasts. Um, so I made the, the podcast by doing a reading and, and then um, Laura from Socialist Think Tank as well edited together what I'd read. And some of the terms I read out I didn't know what they were yeah. and and I just said them. And sometimes I was on Google to find out the pronunciation of certain words and, and me. Yeah. And, and and do you know that, that... It's all right. When you when you read these things I think sometimes it's it's really important to say it's okay not to know something. Sadly. I think yeah. the first thing when, when a lot of people who are maybe from a different educational background, when they get something, they'll see that as a first barrier. They'll go, right, okay, mm-hmm. I don't mm-hmm. understand. I don't understand what this is. It might be a name. It might mm-hmm. be a theory or something. But basically... The whole thing, like, so Hal Drape is, like, James Connolly, really accessible, really good. Um, I think most people would understand that and be able to read it, or if they can't read, you know, like, if they can't read it well, they can listen to it and understand it. But the Hal Drape stuff had so many technical things in it, and so many isms, yeah. and there were, like, people's name-isms and ites and things. And do you think that kind of puts people off? Because most of what he said was common sense. If you want a political system that works for people, then everyone needs to be involved, is the message of what Hal Draper was putting out.
4: Is it not just because it was the language of the time? Yeah. Um, and obviously there is internal like language in the Labour Party where there is a lot of ites and isms, and, and there is a lot of that in politics, but that's just, it's like when you go into any um, profession, let's say, uh, let's call it that, uh, it, it, just for sake of argument, and make an example is when you go into like um, al, like alchemical, uh, chemical type of, of stuff, or uh, like uh, the scientific world. Then it, 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 there's a lot of patterns in the words, um, so you can categorise them essentially. And, and I think there's a, a, that 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 that's essentially what happens in politics, but obviously on a fundamental level of um, uh, language and expression. Um, I'm not as comfortable with that, uh, that, that that type of thing. I think that's more obviously the political education projects type of side. And that, that, that's where I think that will come from is uh, that uh, the education that you are doing now. Um, so uh, people like myself and the working class can, can kind of come into it um, slowly um, and, and and methodically and get introduced to these uh, little little words because you're going to have to learn them really if you I want think, to get more involved in the politics. Yeah,
3: I think you're spot on with that. Um, and that's what I I was kind of going to say. If you if I look at my journey when I kind of first started getting involved in politics to where I am now, the amount that I have learned along the way is massive. I didn't have that knowledge at the start of it. Um, and that's the same with anybody when they go on a an ed- educational journey so I think it's totally fine to not know all of the terms and, and necessarily kind of you can read I read some stuff and then I come out of it none the wiser until maybe we go into the discussion and then I can kind of pick it apart um, but I think my advice would be it's it's fine if you find yourself googling it you have an interest in learning and knowing yeah. you, you're not expected to know this stuff at the start I certainly um haven't and the first time I went on because i would known Paul for for a while like I said but the first time I went on the meeting I kind of was dead honest and said oh my gosh I I, I don't really understand what, what you're talking about and I thought I was fairly politically educated but you quickly catch on you do I think we're all a bit harsh on ourselves aren't we yeah. um and it's uh yeah you'll get you, you do get there with it.
4: I well, if you're here just... at this point, watching at this point, I think you've got enough enthusiasm to dig into a, into a bit of uh, reading material uh, yeah. on the subject, but yeah, in, a, in
0: an accessible way, I think that's important. Just uh, just before I bring you in, Paul, um, yeah. it says uh, we've got Leanne Powell saying, "I'm a working class black country girl with a poor edu- with poor education, self doubt and social anxiety is a huge barrier for me. Yeah. I never felt I would fit in at meetings, and I was scared to speak." But socialist think tanks give me a lot more confidence. I'm now submitting motions at most meetings. Um, I d- and I didn't. I, I actually had. I'd only read the first couple of sentences. I didn't read. I, I didn't do that no. to blow socialist think tanks trumpet. But what what it is is, it's important for people to be able to feel that confidence, and mm. that would I think for me that would being able to admit that you don't understand something, is huge. Put mm. the emphasis back on the person who's explaining it to you. If you don't mm. understand something you might not have explained it very well you know the person who who's explained yeah. it might not have explained that very well and i learned this going back as a postgrad i felt so um when i went back and did postgraduate studies i felt so out of my comfort zone and that made me i'm a teacher it made me a better teacher because i was thinking when i was sitting there thinking i don't know what this means i don't know what these words mean it made me a lot more confident and, and made me ask a lot more do you know what that word means because that might be the only thing that's stopping you from understanding an entire concept. Yeah. So Paul I'll bring you in there. Sorry.
2: no I think I think the tree have made really important points and and Laura who wrote in the comment there was really and, and and I think Laura who wrote in the comment just illustrates an important point about what the political education project is as well is that none of us are static None of us are just fixed in a, in a place, you know what I mean? That we're all constantly developing and changing and growing in different ways, and education is part of that. So, when I was younger, when I was in primary school, I was in sort of remedial class because I couldn't read that well and couldn't uh, numerically wasn't that good. When I went to secondary school, I was in the lowest of the no, the second lowest of the four classes we had. Because it didn't, you know, I was had behavioral issues and everything else. I got kicked out of school and then I went back in and I had a passion for history and that sort of changed how I approached education. But then over time, it was a process. Now, the thing is, is so we don't just give people the readings, we post a video as well. And the video is important because, again, that's precisely us saying to people in lots of different ways, here's the structure, here's what we think is important, but you decide what you think is important. But also don't worry about it. If you don't get it all first time, don't worry about it. If you can't get all the reading done first time, don't worry about it. I do think that the reading or listening, depending on people's own needs, is important because we had this discussion in the political education project. And again, it's about that empowering people. So again, part of the problem, as Laura mentioned, in if we take one aspect of politics, which is sort of Westminster and electoralism, um, the political sort of class, such as it is, is made up of people of a particular class background so upper class middle class who've all been educated broadly in the same way who all have more than enough confidence to make up for their actual ability and who all swan around talking with all this jargon and all this language and the thing is is we have to empower working class people so that you can just pin them down and go well that's Mm -hmm. nonsense this idea you're talking about about how the state works and how the legislation works and how law reform might work or how the economy works. That's all nonsense. None of that's true. And I'll tell you why. And I'll explain it to you. And you won't bamboozle me and you won't sort of sidetrack yeah. me by try to invoke some new terms because I'm up to speed on this. So that is important. And again, economy, I think, is really important. So for me, and again, I've spent years doing this and I, I have many gripes with... Um, the political left the existing left as it were in Britain and elsewhere because again there's been a series of processes over the last 40 years where the particular class composition of a lot of left groups is sort of D class A, middle class people who are in there trying to show off to each other about which version of Marx they've read in the original French and whatever else and who knows this and who knows that. And the whole point is to break that down. And this is why Connolly's is so important. Connolly left school at 11, 11 or 12, lied about his age to join the British Army and then became a Marxist, a trade unionist and socialist and understood the ideas of Marx more acutely and more clearly than pe- many, many, very many people that have dozens of PhDs in this stuff. So it's important for us to empower our people. And by our people, I mean... The working class and its full sort of richness and complexity so the reading part is important but it's also something that again we launched the project with a set of ideas and talking about how you relate it and how someone explains it again if you can't explain something clearly it's because you don't understand it yourself and usually a lot of people are bullshitting around this they're blagging it they're going oh well proletarian revolution is it but they haven't got a clue you know what i mean they're just sort of they've read a couple of books they've got half an idea but they're not fully sure and I've, we've said and we've been having discussions because before we launched this, we had the Beehive in Manchester, but we were also discussing this project for about six or seven months before we launched it. And the people, some of the people involved in this who comrades in Trademark in Belfast have been doing political education with trade unions and community groups for years. And the point we made was the people that we have doing this, which includes Laura and me sasha joe and a few others have to be the sort of people that can go into the local pub with their friends sit down and have a point and within about 10 minutes have people convinced that they need to abolish private property without having to get into any jargon or anything like that but to be able to have that conversation You you, you can you can you can have read every volume of capital and you can have read all of marx's letters and everything else but unless you can actually convey that to people in a way that's tangible to their life it means nothing so we're aware of that We'll keep on the review how we deliver the course, we'll keep on the review the reading we do. So in the next session, which is going to be on capitalist crisis, we're going to take a slightly different approach. Rather than giving people existing readings, uh, Joe and Sean, who are leading that session, are going to draft something themselves. So we'll see if people find that more accessible, we might look at that as a different model as we go forward. But again, we've had these discussions and we, we, we sort of agreed initially that it's important to get people to read this, again, because of it's important for people to understand the history and traditions of working class movements as well. So again, understanding who James Connolly was, understanding the Chartists, understanding the tradition in Britain and Wales, of the miners' libraries across Lancashire, of the workers' institutes and everything else, understanding that and understanding how this has always been a central part for working class people and reclaiming that is a part of what we're
0: trying to do as well we're in we're in county durham here. me and james are both in county durham and socialist think tank is is born out of county durham um we've got james connolly in the background there i've got a picture of him just there and he is on miners banners he's on yeah. miners banners and you know we've got um lennon's on miners banners just to say, Sorry, Paul,
2: when Conley was executed, uh British Labour Party MPs in Parliament cheered. Uh the miners didn't. <laughs> the miners wouldn't have cheered, but the Labour Party MPs at the time cheered when Conley was executed. But the working class in Durham, in Birmingham, and elsewhere, they knew Conley. They recognised Conley. Yeah, sorry.
0: Yeah. No, that's it's a it's a massive point to make that. And and sometimes the you know, the more establishment kind of side of 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 the Labour Party. And I'm learning more and more about this every day, you know, like about, like, you know, I'm, I'm currently... I, I do listen to audiobooks myself, which is one of the inspirations for thinking, actually, wouldn't an audiobook be an easy way for people to access this? Um, and I'm, I'm listening to Clem Attlee's at the minute, and it's just, like, soul-destroying in a way when you think about this movement that was, like, powered by working-class people, and then these liberal people kind of, like, absorb themselves, these establishment figures. And Clem Attlee good Prime Minister, you know, did good things, but, like, he, he was a self-de- self-declared socialist, and I would say he's way to the left of where uh, Keir Starmer is, for example, but that's not saying much. But, um, you know, th- he wasn't really for a massive change in the system. He didn't want to change the system. He was quite happy with the establishment. He enjoyed the public school he went to. He enjoyed going to Oxford. He enjoyed all these different things that were to do with the British establishment. He thought that was what was important. And you know, when, when we lose that kind of feel for what working class people want within a movement, I think that's a really sad thing about the Labour Party. And I'm not hundred percent sure that the Labour Party has ever been, for a very, very long time, for the working class. You know, it's mm-hmm. supposed to be, but is it? You know. I mean, I have to.
3: I have to be fairly careful on this one. I I've always seen the Labour Party as it can be a piece of the puzzle because of the system that we're in. And it can be an important piece of the puddle, pu- puzzle. See, I'm kind of speak the puzzle. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think the most important thing is is building grassroots power, um, building power within the working classes, campaigning, organising, educating um, around the things that will change people's lives, and then politicians hopefully will listen. Um, but I can tell you right now. If we're to leave it to the people who are elected Labour Party politicians to make the changes that communities like mine need, it's not going to happen. I mean, it hasn't happened, has it? Um, So we only we just need to look at history. As I say, I remain hopeful that it can be a part of it um, in some way. And there are some there are some great people who are working within the Labour Party. Um, there are, and there's some decent politicians. I'll give a shout out to Ian Byrne, who's leading on the Right to Food campaign and achieving something with that. And you know, is hopefully gonna end up um, influencing national strategy and make it a lot easier for people to campaign around the changes that need to happen with universal credit, etc. cetera. Um, my comrades in No Holding Back, Ian Lavery and John Trickett Um, you know there are there are decent people in there but yeah the power comes from the class and Mm. our communities and that's where we need to concentrate in my opinion Um, and to be honest Paul's taught me an awful lot about this it's probably best just not to waste that much energy and time um, kind of concerning ourselves with it in the internal battles within the Labour Party and just see it for what it what it is Mm. um the positives and the negatives i choose to remain in it um i can see a benefit of, of for that still um but i respect people who have had enough of it at the same time
2: i think because we we have discussed this as laura said and, and not just until sort of but also within the beehive because a lot of the people involved in the manchester political education were people who had been very active uh, in labor during the carbon period and we put a lot of time and energy into it, and then left after the election, and some still hung in there as well. My my own view of it. So there's a guy called Theodore Rotstein who wrote uh, a fantastic book, which everybody should read if they can, which is called From Chartism to Labourism. Uh, and so really, um, labour the Labour Party, the British Labour Party, is born of the defeat of the British working class. Uh, the Chartist movement was the real movement. Of the radical British working class. Uh, and if you look back and read through what the chart, Bronte O'Brien and people like this and what they wrote and their understanding of the state and their understanding of the nature of capitalism and things that have to change, Marx and Engels learned from the chartists, which is really important. They learned and, and gained an understanding of politics from them. And Labour then, as you said, uh, Paul, emerged in the sort of late 19th, early 20th century. It was that funny concoction of, of sort of some Marxists and socialists, and Pankhurst uh, people like that, uh, Sylvia and other sort of Marxists, as well as then. And you mentioned um, uh, Hal Draper's piece having isms in it. And one of the reasons I picked that piece for this four sessions, I think it's important for people in Britain to understand that, because the Labour Party is primarily defined by Fabianism always has been even in the Corbyn era and again I think Corbyn and what they were trying to do was really positive but it was still this idea that a couple of experts and well-intentioned middle class people go up to South Shields wherever else and tell people what they needed that was good for their lives but then the one thing that they had, had a choice in the last 15 years namely the Brexit referendum they weren't going to go along with that because the likes didn't quite understand it so we weren't going to go along with that but we give you everything else Broadband, we've nationalised this, we nationalised that, and it wasn't going to fly. I, cam- I canvassed for Laura in the elections, and it was it was sort of very frustrating and sort of soul destroying to know that someone like Laura was almost certainly going to lose her seat, not because of what she'd done, because she was a fantastic MP, but because of the decisions that had been taken uh, at a national level. I think Laura's right. I think I think my, my, the only thing I'd say to anybody involved in Labour is study the history of the Labour Party. And I don't mean biographies of Attlee or Tony Benn. I mean, that's all fine. But actually study the history of it. And you'll see that the Labour Party has always been a party of British capital. Now, it's also always been the only electoral vehicle for the working class in Britain. So it is true in that sense. Have been, uh, rather than it being a party of the working class, really been the only option the working class has had electorally and because of that important links have developed over time between the unions and the labour party and at different points in time that has pushed labour policy to some degree in a more sort of progressive way but for the most part the labour party has always been a capable servant of british capital an imperialist party uh, and a party that stifled working class and independent development so laura's point again is crucial and we discussed this in the interview i think paul is that my my own view of socialism and politics, and I think one that a lot of people uh, share and understand as well is that we just have to build what we need, and then in the future people might still engage with the Labour Party, but they'll engage with it with their eyes fully open. They'll engage with from a position of us having a stronger base of working class activists who have a better sense of politics, a better sense of the nature of the state, a better sense of trust and confidence in each other, and they might be able to affect something in it. I don't think so. I'm not in Labour. I don't think that's that's an avenue for real progress. I, I think my, I put my own time and energy into sort of trade union activity and projects like the Education Project. But the, as Laura says, it's part of the piece. Uh, although it's interesting because we mentioned Connolly already, but it was common sense to Marxists and socialists of Connolly's generation that electoral politics wasn't the be all and the end all. It was actually just incidental. So Connolly had this yeah. expression that The fight for control of the political state isn't the real battle. It's just the echo of the battle. That the real battle is going on in workplaces, in communities where we build our power and then we're able to seriously challenge capital. Because even if we got Corbyn in, you know, Corbyn might have been able to realise 10% of what the manifesto said, but capital, British and international capital and the British ruling class would have sabotaged it every step of the way. And we wouldn't have had the social base strong enough to support it. The Corbyn probably would have been toppled within a year or two. And someone else would have come in, but it was Starm and also, Paul,
3: just not the political education to be able to deal with it exactly. in any way, shape, or form. You know, exactly. there was such a lack of understanding of how the media worked, um, and would work,
2: yeah. such
3: a lack of understanding around the European Union yeah. and, and, and what that would mean for yeah. delivering proper socialism in this country. But that's where it comes down to people's definitions of socialism are very different aren't they yeah. um, <laughs> and what people actually wanted to see happen
4: it's one of the were, best were questions to ask at the start of an interview it's why I, like one of one of paul's i've noticed it has been a reoccurring theme throughout the episodes and the variation is absolutely extreme from one um it is well not extreme so it was something really conservative uh, type of socialism you would say to something uh, fundamentally utopian type of socialism. Um, And uh, like you said, it it was in the drape of stuff um, for the uh, two different uh, worlds. Uh, So, yeah,
2: anyway. No, 100%. I mean, it's such an important discussion to have, though, as well, because, again, people talk about... Uh, labor being a broad church right which is a very healthy euphemism for me and the right more or less doing whatever they want and the left trying to hold the whole thing together that's effectively the history of labor you know what i mean the the only people who believe in unity in the labor party are the left the right don't care less they'll burn the whole thing down uh happily because they understand their class interest and their class politics and they they've no they're they'd quite happily shift over to the lib dems or whatever else in due course but yeah it's important for us to have that conversation because whatever other political projects emerge in the future we're going to ha- we're going to have to have and we're going to need a massive movement around unemployed workers we're going to have to have bigger movements around tenants rights we're going to certainly have to build another anti-austerity movement we're going to have to build all of these things and, and quite likely stronger anti-war movement going forward but it's important that we're having these conversations it's all well and good saying okay we'll jump on the same protest together but we have to clarify what we mean politically because then we have to know what we're trying to achieve and then we can make decisions about who would you vote for in this context and who would you support and what platform should they pursue we have to clarify these ideas and have a shared understanding of it we've um we've had a
0: real jump in viewers so either like you know the the bots from the labor party are out to get us or uh, or, or we're engaging people. They'll here, all be really watching good.
3: saying, Is there anything we can suspend her on?
0: <laughs> Desperate. Can we get Smith? Can we get her? Um Yeah, so... and
3: then they can put a big cross through my
0: face. Just a reminder to all our viewers, just please please put it in the chat. If this if you're watching this on Red Labour, it needs to go in the socialist think tank chat for us to see this, uh, to see your comments. So sorry if you're commenting on the on the Red Labour chat and we don't see it. But with uh, Anthony Riley, education's important. Um, he's found in general general observation and in chatting to people is, um, you know, it's that kind of Labour or Conservatives dynamic as if it's a race, as if it's like the kind of almost, a, I think he's describing like the footballisation Mm-hmm. of you know where you've got a team and you support it, which yeah. actually it's been really really damaging up here where people have decided to switch to the conservatives and that's their team and they will cheerlead yeah. anything at all the, but
1: the conservatives also on that say.
3: also on that point Paul if you don't mind me coming in it's like um it, it stops people wanting to look at the politics behind everything I've always said everything is politics and politics is everything and, you, you, you know, you have to be part of that discussion if you want to change anything. And all too often people will throw stop being party political, um, You bring in party politics into it. Well, actually, a lot of the time, you know, none of the parties are really delivering what, what I think needs to happen currently, which is if we're going to change the way that, you know, the, the system works, it has to be looking at the way that we change the economy to work for the, the many in this country and not for the few um it isn't that I'm there even though I am a Labour Party member, I'm a Labour Party councillor um it's it's the fact that people need to look at the politics behind every single decision and then they can hold their politicians to account if they understand and understand that but um almost like you say this which football team are you supportive it does exactly what it, what they want it to do, which is it makes people disengage from it and stop challenging it and keep getting involved in it, um, and then things just stay the same, which suits them, basically. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I Another... just jumped in then.
0: No, no, <laughs> that was that was that was exactly what I wanted you to do. You did it. You did um, exactly what we need to hear. You know you. Uh, so one of the things that you know, that I was thinking of whilst other people were talking there is we get ourselves involved in these ridiculous battles within the Labour Party and we spend a lot of energy on really pointless stuff. So a bit of an exclusive here, I've uh, I've resigned tonight from the the local campaign forum because the person who asked me to be on the local campaign forum as the treasurer um, has decided that actually as a power play, you know, They've decided that I should no longer be in that position to try and, like, three months before an election, I shouldn't be the treasurer for the local campaign forum because of some sort of weird technicality that they got wrong. And you just think I can't waste my energy on this kind of stuff. There are so much so many bigger things to do. And that clearly i they gossip about it
4: on this channel. <laughs> yeah. Um but, but <laughs> no, I'm there, there,
0: are, so, but dry there dry. are so many but there are so many more important things for us to do to be dragged into. And it reminds me of is it Hanford Parish Council?
3: Yeah. <laughs> That's right. And Laura, you've got some,
0: man- <laughs> you've got some insight into that, don't you? Oh,
3: I really don't have very much, apart from the fact that I am also a councillor at Cheshire East. Um, but I'm the south of the county, whereas that's the north of the county. What I can say is that I've been in plenty of meetings that are fairly <laughs> similar to the way that that one um ran which I don't I don't think is something that we should be proud of but Mm. this again is really easy isn't it for us to all say we want other people to get involved in being councillors we want to see working class people in there we want to see people from um different backgrounds and ethnicities and all of the rest of it but watching that who's going to want to get involved in it yeah. um so we've got a bigger challenge which again is about we have to get people to understand the way that these things work so potentially we can change them um, make them so that the, the discussions that are happening in these things are actually relevant to the vast majority of people's lives um but it's it's i always i always think yeah of course we want more working-class people in these roles but my god we've got to to sort out the whole way that it's ran, to make it something that people want to get involved in. Let's not forget that these are like mainly voluntary
1: mm-hmm.
3: positions. You know, people are very time poor these days. Of course, it is the the people who we most want to see involved in councils. It's very hard for them to get involved because many are working in low low pay, long hours, shift work. Um, to then throw in the mix becoming a councillor it's just not something that is accessible to a lot of people so it's something we should be campaigning on loudly the fact that we want to reform the way that local government and etc works but yeah I mean it was really funny wasn't it (laughs) to be fair and it gave us all a laugh it's just a little bit tragic that that is probably the way that so many of these mm. parish councils um, do run and mm. the ingrained issues um, with, within them and the way that people speak to each other, mm. the lack of respect, um, you know, the the whole way that it's conducted is, is shameful actually. Mm. These are people who do have power by the way to be able to change the way that people in our community live, however big or small, and you know, if if only everybody like there was a little bit more thought and effort put into it.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: But I have to say, one of the people who was on that call is actually Cheshire East Mayor. You know, <laughs> it's, uh, which is is to me, it's ludicrous. We even have these these mayors.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, but yeah, you got to ask yourself, kind of. Um, people that we're putting in positions of power haven't we
2: i think one thing with the sorry sorry, that sorry sorry? i
4: was just going to actually uh quote you from uh one of the videos that we released uh released that didn't go out obviously with the the main video prior to this uh live stream uh is where you said it it, it, to be able to plant a tree the best time to plant a tree was uh like a year ago, or in, in in the second best time is now, yeah. I think that is a is a big thing, especially after the the Jeremy Corbyn movement and you know how that has transpired and uh, how politics is now within the Labour Party is. We need to plant the seeds now um, yeah. for the politicians of the future because I think that we inspired so many people. Not I say we, um, <laughs> I was it wasn't involved all the way, like just partly. Um, but uh, it, it, the movement in general within the Labour Party it, it sparked so many people in my generation and mm-hmm. and others to be able to get involved and I think we need to be inviting them into all of, uh, into roles like parish councillor, um, county councillor, etc. And, and really deliver uh, the next generation because people people in I think especially in the northeastern Heartland areas are sick of the, um, I, the well. Around, I found ground here, as soon as there's new blood, every, everybody is behind labor again. They're like, yes, new blood. Like, like this is what we want. Uh, these are the people who are involved in our community. We've seen them around, you know. Um, uh, they've been handing out um, parcels, donations, etc. throughout the crisis. And so they've seen them active and stuff beforehand in the community centers and all this type of stuff and in the food banks. Um, and then the finally, all right, finally now they've become uh, county councillors, or parish councillors. All of a sudden, everybody's like, "Yes, get in!" And then I, I personally see uh, in those um, in those elections for those type of people, we'll see a huge surge in uh, voter turnout and voter expectations uh, in comparison to other councillors who've been there a while. And mm-hmm. I don't mean to sound derogatory. Um, an attack against the other councillors. I just think it's a mood change thing, mm-hmm. um, and they see new blood coming into play, and they've seen them around, uh, of them growing up and stuff like that. I think it's a big mood change in our area, or anywhere yeah. in Merton, I think, I I'm
0: just yeah. gonna I want to. I'm just gonna come in with a with a few comments. We've got we've got lots of comments on the. Are you the clerk? And um, uh, you know. <laughs> Read the standing orders and, and understand them, and and things like that. We did have one person uh, on Twitch saying, um, "Seeing uh, Alexandria Casio Cortez and Chain next to each other is uh, up here is uh, is uh, next level embarrassing. He said, <laughs> "Well, you know, they were they were gifts. Don't don't be an arsehole about people's pictures. Don't, you know." Yeah, we'll take it. But I hope you're enjoying it anyway. Um, someone's asked, I'm a conservative. Is it okay? I think no is the answer to that one. Uh, <laughs> and we've had a, a salam from Bangladesh. So very, very um, nice little chats yeah. coming on. So um, I think you're about to come in there, Paul.
2: Oh, well, I was just going to say that like I, I agree with James that I think definitely the... So the thing is, I used to, even though I'm not in labour, uh, and I, I used to speak at. Uh, um, in fact,
3: can I just say the amount of labour talk that's going on? I know that Paul's going to be like. <laughs> twitching internally
2: so i'm gonna get and, uh, outside of the labour party but yeah. yeah. a little bit. so i did used to in in 2017 and 18, 18 to 19, i spoke at a bunch of um labour clps and momentum branches in london uh who were debating brexit and stuff like that and I, I was usually going in making the socialist case for leaving but Corbyn would invariably come up and i'd make the point to people time and time again in the nicest possible way that I don't care about Jeremy Corbyn, that that's not important. What's important is what uh, James has touched on, is the moment that Corbyn represented. So the thing with Corbyn is, is Corbyn can't be disentangled from Brexit and a period of crisis where people have, uh, right across British society, particularly of a certain generation, younger people were looking for an alternative and they saw that in the politics around Corbyn. So definitely, I think you're right, James, that has politicized people. I, I'd i say, and I hope one thing that the Political Education Project does is that it expands people's understanding of the political um, so that it's not just about local councils that is part of it. It's not just about Westminster. It's certainly not just about elections. If anything, they're probably secondary or incidental. Uh, Laura mentioned earlier about everything being political. I mean, that's the reality of it. Laura will lead a session for PEP in in a couple of weeks time on on women's oppression. And that's where we look at from a socialist perspective and from a working class perspective, how housework and everything else is political. How instead of we having the gender divisions of labor that we have, that we should instead be working towards a society where those, those boards are lifted off all of us. We've got the technology, we've got the capacity, all these things. So there are all those conversations. There was a great woman called Martha Harniker, who was a Chilean uh, socialist. And she said that for, for socialists, politics is the art of making the impossible possible. And so I think that a big part of, of our job and, and certainly with PEP and other things, the things I tried to be involved with is trying to expand people's understanding of what is possible through politics and what politics is, you know, and that's crucially important. So when Laura mentioned there about the type of people we want to get involved in elected office, right? Well, if we're serious about working class self-emancipation, if we're serious about having people participate and part of that is participating in local councils and so forth then there's a campaign out there for people to get paid leave from work in order to take up those posts then you wouldn't just get the sort of you know, uh, hobbyists and the sort of older people who have been doing it for donkey's years and become these malicious cartoon characters that shout at each other about standing orders and so forth. You'd get a greater range of people. It's interesting The Paris Commune, which Marx writes about a lot, was the first real experience in working class democracy and working class government. And the thing with the Paris Commune was every single person there could take up a role within the government of the commune, and anybody who did was only paid the average working, uh, the, the wage of the average skilled worker. But also, anybody who was elected to any post could be subject to recall. Right, so we have to completely rethink what representation means, what democracy means. But that's a big project. You can't turn around and say to people, now, they look at you as if you're you're mad. You go, well, hang on, that's not politics. Politics is. You know, people who graduated from Oxford with nice suits telling us how they'll do austerity a bit slower than the other one. I mean, that's what that's what people think politics is. And we have to say, no, it's so much more than that. It's every mm-hmm. aspect of your life, particularly in the workplace. It's, your, it's the fact that you're getting exploited in work. It's the fact that yeah. you're constantly in conflict with your employer and that we have to win that conflict as a class and we can only do it as a class. So, yeah. I agree that people have been politicised by the Corbyn period. Unfortunately, my sense of it, and this is just anecdotal because there's no sort of empirical research in this, a lot of the younger people, and I'm talking sort of 18, 19, 20, early stage university people, seem to have reconciled themselves to sort of Starmer type sort of politics. Should I mean, it's elections, it's getting a career. And that, again, has always been part of the labour process. We've done two sessions in um in the Beehive in Manchester, on Labourism. And Labourism is a particular form of politics. There's a whole set of ideas and a whole history that goes into that. And, and Paul had mentioned it earlier, and Laura as well. So to stay and fighting in the Labour Party, again, I know why people will do it, and people have strong personal and emotional attachments, and they've got friendships and everything else, but where's the fight part of it? I mean, where, where's that side of it? Where's the stay, stay and fight? Where's the fight part of it? And all of them people would say, okay, I'm going to stay in labor, but labor's not that important. We know that trade unions and political education, community organising is important. so We're going to do that instead. But you don't. No, I don't mean you. I'm not. I it. do. I do. <laughs> I know you do. I know you do. But <laughs> as a general rule, you don't. But again, the reason you don't isn't a personal failing. It's because of the gravitate gravitational pull of laborism as a form of politics. You end up constantly fighting the next election, the next internal election, yeah, the next. Yeah. Year. You're going to stand for this, you're going to stand for that. Before you know it, it's eight o'clock in the evening, and you haven't even had dinner. You're not going to sit down and start organizing with your local tenants' union or doing, doing sort yeah. of work for your trade union. So, yeah, stay in fight. But It's a lot lot of time
4: consumption. For me, I have said this to many people. If I didn't have now the financial um capacity to be able to spend as much time as I do in politics, I never would have been able to. Um Mm -hmm. there is like no way I would have been able to spend I I say social listing. tank to be fair sometimes it feels like i do two jobs at once like one's going on over here while one's going on over here and i'll be switching between them um and it it, it, it it it's kind of like a part-time job um so yeah i'm just thinking the time consumption um is I a think, big part of it
3: yeah i mean i think the thing is the way that i look at it right is that since i was very very small I have had a burning desire inside of myself to fight against social injustice. Nothing can put it out. Nothing. Um, That is just just the way that I've been made up. It's the family environment that I've grown up in. I will fight until my dying day for positive change. That is just something that is built inside of me. Um, And I don't want that to disappear. Because if that disappears and, and goes away, then what what's the future for my kids what's the future for their kids it's it's shit currently and we need to make it better so I want to be part of helping to make that better um I think Paul is absolutely 100% correct with the amount of energy that people let be sucked away into things that at the end you know what what you have to show for it the only reason that I was able to become a MP in the first place is because of the nature of the way that election was called. It was a short campaign. If I'd have had to have taken time off work, there's no way that I would have been able to do it. No way. So I got in by accident, pretty much, as a local activist and campaigner. Um, exactly what you were saying earlier, James, really, that I was able to, you know, it was it was at the time where the schools were under well one of the many times schools have been in a crisis point there was a lot of kind of um, noise around that in our area at the time Um, I was leading on that so people got behind it but at the same time I only I didn't even manage a full term in parliament before the parliamentary machine chucked me out (laughs) because it's not it doesn't want people like me in it that's the that Mm. is the fact um, of, of how it currently works and what we need to do is and what I will put my energy into in whatever way I possibly can is trying to get people to understand that their voice matters that their opinion matters that they can shape what is needed in the future um, that if we work as a collective within our workplaces if we work as a collective in our communities then we can deliver positive change and then hopefully people will start to feel a little bit more like they, they make a difference because currently the biggest problem that we've got in places like Crew is people just don't give a shit because their life is hard, quite frankly, and to let all of this garbage in is, is just too much. So it's easier to just shut it out. So what we need to do is try and give them a purpose to be able to join in that fight. Um, and and to be able to work together and see change happen. Um, and there's excuse after excuse that is given. We hear it time and time again from councillors as to why things can't change. But it isn't true. Yes, you can't change everything because we have a Conservative government, but there are things that can change. Um, but you have to have the, the, the will and to be able to have the vision and the energy to be able to actually try and deliver it. And too many people... They haven't got that. That's not why they're in it. Um, so we need to build that that power from the mm.
2: grassroots.
3: I am going to have to go shortly, guys. It's getting <laughs> late. It's getting just, late for
2: me. <laughs> as well. Yeah. It
0: uh, looks like Paul wants to come in there, but we've also got a question in is, what is the power of cryptocurrency in the perspective of, of modern, sorry, uh, in the prospect I think I mean the perspective of a modern
2: socialist. Yeah.
3: You can take that one. Paul. Yeah, Paul yeah. can do
2: that one. We'll come back onto that in a second, but James might know quite a bit oh, about- uh, I'm all over that one. I'll come back to that in a second. <laughs> But just to say, even you're talking about the Labour Party one last time, but just to say, even even all the um, reasons I have for not thinking the Labour Party is a strong vehicle for developing working class politics or socialism, I will say I did campaign for Laura, because even before I knew Laura, she's that rarest of things, which is a genuine, principled, working class activist. And and they're as rare as sort of hen's teeth in the Labour Party. And it was a real loss for her class when Laura uh, lost her seat. And it was a loss for the people, of crew um massively so on cryptocurrency I mean it's a good question I think I think it's impossible to do justice to it in a, in a sort of brief comment. Uh, what I will say is that the way the way or one of the ways or one of the main things around capitalism and the capitalist system is that capitalism as a system uh, constantly enters into crisis one way or another and the main motor force driving capitalism is the exploitation of labor and the pursuit of profits and the pursuit of profits as quickly as possible and new avenues of profits. And in the last 40 years, this has led to what's known as the financialization of capitalism. Again, I don't want to sort of because this is a short Saturday night thing, and people have had a beer, so nobody wants to hear all this. But Costas, <laughs> not <laughs> at all, I <I'm> <laughs> it. Costas has done really good work on this, and lots of other people have. The thing with cryptocurrencies is uh, that they're an interest in technological innovation. They will fuel bubbles within the capitalist system short term, but they won't fundamentally change social relations within capitalism. Now. In a post capitalist society, what form of currency and so what we have, we won't know. Uh, there's a, an expression that Lenin had, which was that Trying to explain what a communist society would look like to somebody living today. would be like trying to teach higher order mathematics to a chimpanzee. And this goes back to the question we had earlier about reading and education and so forth. The whole point is, is that we change through our activities. For the things we do in life we learn different things we transform the ideas that we take for granted suddenly become sort of obsolete and old-fashioned and so forth so if we go through a prolonged period of social transformation and change the relationships if we get to a world where people don't have to get up every day and go out and sell themselves in order to survive if we get to a world like that then everything will change our understandings of what sort of intimate relationships should look like of how child care takes place of what a state is of what money is all this would change and cryptocurrency would be a weird sort of uh mid early 24th century hype that makes no sense anymore i'm sorry that's the best answer i can give because it's a i can i can i can elaborate
4: a little bit on the cryptocurrency so fundamentally all it is is right um it's like you say is if you go down to the basics of it right when you you want to on about currency is based off the trade and exertion of one's labor right um, and I think that's exactly the same as what happens in cryptocurrency. But instead, the exchange instead of the individual, it en- ends up being some uh, electric or some type of energy in that format. So it's generated by burning uh, bloody fossil fuels or it's generated through nuclear power plants, whatever. It's, it's burned through energy. Um, and the same expenditure is exactly the same expenditure. What happens is when you exert energy is when you're putting it into labor. And that's the way I think um, you need to think about cryptocurrency in that aspect is fundamentally the same exchange is happening. It's energy into a market. That's Mm -hmm. it. It's energy input into a market. Mm -hmm. And I think, like you say, it will short term cause bubbles and huge economic growth in particular areas, but in particular markets. But. It'll also crash others. <laughs> um, it's so volatile. I I, I don't think it's the, the future. There's too much exertion to be able to verify the contracts, yeah. to be mm-hmm. able to, because there's a lot of com- computational power, to be able to go through the chain of uh, contracts, to be able to verify each other for the, all the Bitcoins and Ether mm-hmm. or whatever type of cri- cryptocurrency you're talking about. So mm-hmm. um, uh, th- th- I don't really want to go into it much further. Like mm-hmm. I said, it, it, it is a Saturday. At uh, yeah. the like um <laughs> what, past ten at a
2: night, I don't want to be talking about cryptocurrencies. To be honest with you, yeah. and the, the one last <laughs> thing I would say about is that, like any technological advance, if we had a society which was governed on the basis of democratic decision making about what people need, well then the technology around cryptocurrency could be valuable because it mm-hmm. could allow you to make much quicker decisions about allocation and and what's needed where within the economy and so on. So it could be useful. Within capitalism, it becomes the basis for speculative bubbles. So right. some of the, some people watching might be old enough to remember when sort of the internet force came on the scene and we had dot-com boom. So just the mere the mere existence of websites and trading websites and sort of online companies was insane. And again, it was another speculative bubble and the backside fell out of it. And that's the thing with capitalism. It's one of those things that, and I think Joe and Sean will cover this in the second political education session, which is that the crisis we're in now, which is immediately related to COVID-19, was on the cards before COVID-19 popped up because capitalism as a system will keep producing crises and those crises will keep getting worse and working-class people will keep suffering on the end of it unless we fundamentally transform our whole set of social relationships.
3: Yeah.
4: At
2: this point,
0: add, and but... and I know, Laura, Laura, you're getting tired, aren't you? You've been I
1: absolutely, need, do... absolutely outstanding.
2: Go. That's the post I've,
1: msg um, crash. That's what that is. That's the come down. I know <laughs> so, right, it is. It's, there,
0: it's the Chinese. Chinese. Right? Yeah, <laughs> it, it, a, it, was it was is. A, it's so the so post msg crash. To be to, and um, we we've been quite open about this. We've we've all been having a little drink tonight, haven't we? So have, have you all en- enjoyed the drink that you've been having? You know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've, no,
3: definitely. It's a Saturday, I've,
0: isn't it? I've been okay. having a steam machine brew, and we're not sponsored by them or anything. Anyway, I just love them. At At you know, the establishment, the establishment. Anti establishment <laughs> IPA, but uh, um, yeah, they, I'm
3: really it, like, I'm, I'm letting the side down with a glass of Pinot then. <laughs> no, no that,
2: That's great, Just but um,
3: too, yeah. my head.
2: nothing too good for the working class. I that's it, yeah. I mean, I mean let's it. not, I'm
3: not, it was about
2: five pounds 25 for, so okay, that's good. You no, know, no, that's what
3: we've got a one year old, the mid price, yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. We um. One of the first times I ever drank wine years ago was with a bunch of Basque people and I drank a thing called Calimucho, which is where you get the cheapest red wine you can get and mix it with Coke. My drink
3: oh. Was it. It was amazing. oh, that's grim. That's grim, but we've, interestingly, um... interestingly, sorry, on that point, my Chinese came with a free bottle of Coke. Oh,
2: nice. So maybe maybe
3: that's what I can indulge I in shortly. Just, just
0: bang it into your wine and you'll be fine. We've had um we've had some really interesting comments here with uh the person who asked us the asked, asked us about the cryptocurrencies, shared it on and Seems to really appreciate the fact that we've done that. We, we've uh, addressed this. We've had some people, we, we're getting some trolls. So that, that's yeah, always. Plenty it's always th- there's always like, uh, it, it's always a good thing. And if you want to have a name that's an alias, don't call yourself AI Smith, Art- Artificial Intelligence Smith. <laughs> Come on. So um, there's follow, a. F- they there's...
3: follow me round, Paul, like, flies to they shit, you. honestly. It just always <laughs> is there. <laughs> I almost I
0: almost treasure them a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> I'd be sad well, if he
3: left.
0: It, there's a there's a little bit and I think we can probably deal with this oh, and then um, yes. what we what we might what we might do in a second is if Paul are you okay to stay for a little bit longer? Yeah, I can hang on for a little bit. Yeah. We can we can sub you out and sub someone else in if you want, Laura. If that's okay. If you're tired and want to Absolutely. go and do life, it's like
3: WWF wrestling. This is <laughs> like tag teaming.
0: Tag team <laughs> teaming. Loving it. So,
3: it's the Royal Rumble. Oh
0: right. on. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so um, so w- what we've got is uh, you want things handed to you? If there was if there was social if we had socialism, there would be no iPhone or computer. This is pathetic. Boo. (laughs) Nice. Um, This kind of thing. And uh, yeah, there's a few of those kind of comments that we want everything for nothing in socialism. And I think that can be dispelled immediately because it's the people who work so hard that produce things for people who are particularly rich. Isn't
3: Isn't it really weird how when it comes to saying that you and me and ordinary people can have more and deserve more Mm -hmm. and should have more, um, that then you get loads of people saying, but how are you gonna pay for it, et cetera, Mm -hmm. et cetera. They need to understand that at the top of this, there are a load of people absolutely creaming it in Mm -hmm. off the exploitation of ordinary people. And we let them get away with it. Um, And I, I cannot get my head around why so many people uh, are okay with that happening? I don't think it's something that I'm ever going <laughs> to probably understand. Yeah, a lot <laughs> of
4: people think it's um, uh, they have that we have this stigma in socialism, right? Where people look at it is in because. Um, uh, we're trying to equalize society in such a way. People think that there won't be innovation that results from that because people think if you remove capitalism, that innovation will stifle in every single possible way. I innovation of using iPhones and technology, like all that, would not exist if if capitalism ex- didn't exist. I, I I call that absolute bull. Mm-hmm. Um, and the only reason uh, reason for that is innovation will always exist. It doesn't matter which system you're under. This is how revolutions occur. Yeah. Like. I just-
3: like before before I go one of the best examples of it is you say to people look you can you can have more bank holidays mm. you can you can have that um you can you can get more pay you can you know you deserve more more time mm. off work and they'll argue with you as to why they don't deserve it but yeah. that is it's not their fault this yeah. is the system that has created this well, that's where it. that's what people think yeah. is is their worst. Yeah. And we have to basically dismantle our whole way of thinking. Um, and it's no wonder that people feel like that because it is pushed at them through the media, it's yeah. pushed at them in the newspaper, it's pushed at them through Parliament. You yeah. know, the, ho- the whole thing is set up to make people feel like that. So it doesn't surprise me, but it frustrates me because I just kind of wish sometimes we could... Uh, and that's why all of the stuff that we've spoken about, political education, yeah. um, being part of a collective, You can see what's happened. I'm a Unite national political officer. Um, What's happened with regards to Barn Oldswick and the Rolls Royce dispute. That is a whole community standing together, demanding more, demanding um, that this doesn't happen. And they won it. And they didn't just win it. They absolutely smashed it. Um, And more communities could do that. But I am going to have to go. I'm going to
2: leave you with the trolls. I bet they all leave now that I'm going. No, but again, Laura hit the nail on the head there about the importance of political education and how this shows it. Because again, we we have done in the Beehive already. We've done sessions on uh, historical materialism. We've done sessions on ideology in the media and stuff like that. But we have to do this work with people. And again, it's it's not it's not a case of the whole thing where um, ideas is is that it's not just. People, whether it's racism, whether it's sexism, whether it's the idea that capitalism is natural and you only get innovation under the capitalism, these aren't things that spontaneously appear in people's minds. There are social relationships and histories that embed these ideas in people's minds. And we have to build movements that, that sort of counteract that. And Laura mentioned the point there about, you know, people saying you can say people you want, you can have more bank holidays. Well, James Connolly, who we've mentioned a half dozen times, he used to sort of ridicule this, but in a powerful slogan, he said, We're being very modest. He said, We only want the earth. Right. And again, as a class, working class people produce everything of value. in in the world, nothing moves. If we go on, which is why the start of the pandemic when people stayed home from work is why business and the right wing were so militant to try and get people back out to work, even though it wasn't wise from a public health perspective, because when workers aren't working, the whole thing comes to a standstill. So without workers, it doesn't happen. And what socialism then is about, is about democratically and fairly putting the control of production under democratic control. And to go back to James's point about innovation, look at the pandemic. We, we had a few years back about 400 different companies making fidget spinners. When a global pandemic hits this country and a health of a health crisis hits this country, we can't get doctors and nurses the PPE they need. I mean, we've got 800 different sorts of TVs you can get. There's all sorts of different, you know, designer clothes and everything else. This goes back, and we might get to this, not in the first 10 we course for the political education project, but at a later point, it goes back to a distinction between what's known as use value and exchange value. So you make things, and when you make something, it has a use value, so a hat is useful because it can keep your head warmer. it looks good. But on the capitalism, things aren't produced for their usefulness. On the capitalism, things are produced for their exchange value. Things are produced so they can be sold for a profit for the person that owns the factory. And in terms of phones and so forth, Again, you don't have that without workers. Elon Musk hasn't made that in his life. You know what I mean? He's he's inherited wealth from his family. He's used that then and all sorts of connections to exploit that going forward. But he's never invented anything, never produced anything of value. It's the workers who've done it. And socialism is about making sure that those who produce are the ones who benefit and the ones who make the democratic decisions about what society does. So again, you will get these trolls, but that's again part of the ideological apparatus that sustains capitalism. And the political education project is about challenging that. I don't know if we discussed this part in the interview, um, but there's a a quotation that's wrongly attributed to Steinbeck, which is that the reason that there hasn't been a revolution in America is because there are no poor people. They're only temporarily embarrassed millionaires. And these sort of people who come on who are probably earning about 20 grand a year and want to defend capitalism and the right of Elon Musk to make billions are in that camp. They think that one day they'll be Elon Musk, but they won't be. And their grandkids won't be. And their great-great-grandkids won't be. If if anything, with the trajectory capitalism's on, things will get worse for them. Brilliant. Well, um, what we're going to do now is we will take a break.
0: We will say goodbye to Laura because she has been absolutely fantastic. Uh, Toto has is, uh, is, is sent his uh, his love. Um, someone who we've had on Socialist Think Tank to do one of the Twelve Days of Solidarity, absolutely brilliant, solid socialist, um, really good guy. So um, he he says, "Bye, Laura, love you." So that's uh, what what a lovely nice. lovely way to say goodbye to you. What I'm going to do is for <laughs> the for the three of us who are going to hang around for a few minutes. they have got like we've got billions of questions coming in. To be honest, um, what I'm going to do is I'm going to quickly set the scene. I'm going to ha- give us a five-minute break. You can go and get yourself a beer and go and get yourself, um, you know, pop to the toilet or anything like that, which you which you may need to do. We're going to say bye to Laura and thank her so much. It's because... my pleasure. My pleasure and as always.
3: Thank you, Laura. I'll go and, I'm going to go and check now, see if um, yeah. I've said anything that means that I'm getting expelled. Definitely. <laughs> yeah. definitely.
0: If, if they expel you for this, then you're in the wrong party, to be fair. Yeah, like
2: yeah but you're in the right movement. You can go into your alt <laughs> account and troll us now. <laughs>
0: okay, so um, I'll I'll, I'll say bye, bye and uh, we're gonna put you on the whole screen for a, for a couple of minutes, and then uh, and then we'll see you in like three minutes. Bye guys.
3: Lovely to see you, it's wrong. Right, I...
1: Hi, we think I think I think that's us
0: back. So, uh let us know in the comments whether we're back or not and um and you know, give us some questions. So, um yeah, back to where we were. Paul, you need to kind of move back slightly. Just just a little bit. But yeah, yep, yeah, that's awesome. That's absolutely brilliant. Um and uh why is this channel come here that late? Periscope going to go off soon. Is someone said. I think it's going to transition to Twitter, so uh, I think you'll just manage to manage to see that. Um, right, so, didn't Democrats create the welfare state? What a good place to start. Did Democrats in the USA create the welfare state? No.
2: <laughs> no. So, so, the first... The, the, sorry, just to an answer specifically, the first um, modern iteration of the welfare state was created by Bismarck uh, in Prussia in the mid-19th century, and interestingly, Bismarck set it up to undermine socialists, so the socialists in Germany were gaining support and gaining power. So Bismarck introduced the forced examples of what we'd call the welfare state, so um, sick pay and uh, various other things to try and take support away from the socialists. And then after World War II or just before in, a, in the interwar period, FDR in the U.S. did his for freedom speech, uh, which is the basis in some respects for the limited welfare state they developed in the U.S., uh, well, post World War II, right across Europe, you had much more advanced welfare states in Scandinavia, based on the Meidner plan, and other things in Britain, which developed the NHS um, and elsewhere. But not, so, so no, the short answer is no. <laughs>
0: <laughs> At least it was qualified as well with a yeah. yeah. You no, know, did they invent it? What do you like uh, that? It's it's kind of an. This is this is again emphasizing the need for political education, isn't it? Because if you don't have political education and how can you know that? that that is not a stupid question is it no it's a good question and, I, and and i think that people who ask questions like that and so didn't like you know the nhs for example there's a lot of confusion around that and i think people were very taken in like so certainly near me people were saying who who invented the nhs mm-hmm. was it um was it the beverage report a beverage Beveridge was a, a liberal, wasn't he? Is that right? So he yeah. was a Liberal Party person, and people saying, "Oh, it had cross-party support, etc."
4: You know, is that true? But they didn't vote it down like about forty times before it passed, though, did it?
1: The no, Conservatives They, they, they never did, mentioned
4: they... that part, though, though, did they?
0: But but they claim it was a, a, this cross-party consensus that appeared after World War Two, and, and, <laughs> and I suppose to an extent. There is some truth in that, I guess, yeah, but not... But it's
2: like even the question about the Democrats. So there is some truth in it. It depends on who you read. So there's a, there's a guy called Kaz Sunstein, who's a professor of law in Yale, I think now, at Harvard. And he's written a book about the origins of social rights. And he gives FDR a much more prominent place in that, and FDR of course was a sort of a US president like so you could you could interpret it that way but historically that's not that's not accurate um, there's a guy called Ashborn Wall who's a Norwegian trade unionist who's excellent he's written a great book called the rise and fall of the welfare state and he gives a much richer historical account for anybody who's interested in it in terms of the NHS, I mean, it's one of the things we'll try and do with the political education project because, you know, before even before Corbyn came along or maybe around the same time, um, Ken Loach did that film, The Spirit of 45, and trying to sort of do this sort of nostalgic well, look, we built the NHS so we could do that again. And I think it's something that's important for people to understand, which is that there are historically specific circumstances to produce the NHS, which don't exist today. Yeah. So again, one of them was, it was post-World War II when Europe had been destroyed, and what we saw for 25 years after that was a very uh, unique period of growth for capitalist economies because of rebuilding Europe, rebuilding Japan, because of the export and power of the US, because there were still colonies that the Western States were taking resources and wealth from. And there was that very brief period where the capitalist class made concessions to a relatively strong working class. You had all these soldiers coming back from war, who joined the unions who made certain demands. And that was a very brief moment in the history of capitalism. It lasted about 25 years. And once the oil shock happened and the crisis of capitalism started in the late 60s, early 70s, then we saw the emergence of neoliberalism to tear all that up and restore the status quo. And that's where we are now. We're in a situation now where the limited gains that air class made after World War II have been torn to shreds. Trade union membership is half what it was here in the 70s, trade union militancy has been in decline. Things like the political education budget are stepping in as it's sort of dropping the ocean for the traditional institutions of working class organisation and political education that we've lost. But we're going to have to go forward rather than looking back to what was achieved with the NHS. Sorry.
4: Yeah, so I think what we, they were trying to, especially in the Jerry McCaleb movement, um, they were try, what they were really trying to do with that was trying to spot a connection between the austerity measures that were being put into place, to to the desperate uh, for the desperation and families that were feeling so. Um, torn up by exactly the deindustrialization of the areas, the Thatcher area, everything, or the combination of things that happened before that, including the Labour Party under, under um, Tony Blair um, and consecutive governments after that. Um, they, 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 they've destroyed the areas in such a way that they, in some respects, it, it, it has hit the consciousness of society um, in ways like the World World War II. So I think that's what they were trying to emphasise yeah. on and I think that wave is still occurring across yeah. Europe and not just the UK yeah. um, where uh, the, all, all of these um, austerity measures that have been put into place for all of Europe uh, and beyond um, and to combat yeah. um, it, 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 the, the absolute bankruptcy of each each nation and to the capitalist uh, system, then, yeah. Sorry. I think you
2: spot on. Yeah. Vivarant. No, no, I think that's spot on. I think the one thing I'd say, just to sort of add to that as well, is that the thing about austerity is because it's interesting in terms of the history. And, and again, it's one of the things that, as I said, hopefully with the political education project, we'll do. But the first real instances of austerity happen in in the global south and and sort of places like Chile, you know, after the overthrow of Pinochet, and they bring in this sort of shock doctrine of rolling back the state and privatising everything. So that was first of all that was the West via the US and that exporting that initially, but then it comes full si- full circle, and the sort of debt crisis that hits in 2008 means then pushing those policies in Western countries. Now the big thing we have, and it's one of the problems uh for, as socialists and in trying to confront the rise of right-wing parties is that there can be a nostalgia for what there was before right and so when we had relatively stable jobs here in britain relatively sta- stable industries whether that was in coal whether it was in uh sort of textiles whatever, that was a very specific historical moment and there was lots of exclusion then so women were treated very differently then non-white people were treated very differently then you know racism was a key part of what sustained that and that's not a moral judgment on people, that's a descriptive reality of that. The danger, and you see it in the Labour Party with the sort of blue labor tendencies, is it becomes this sort of reactionary nostalgia, and they go, Well, things are bad now because all of a sudden people have pronouns and all of a sudden there are migrants and there's different religions, and they they really get back to when it was that and it was solid and it was white and it was British and it was working class and that was good. But it's impossible do you know what i mean like first they don't understand what that was and secondly yeah. they can't achieve the imaginary version they want so again as socialists whether it's up in durham or whether it's in manchester london whatever it is the vision we have to try and develop is the forward looking so something that could have been done in britain under a carbon government and that would have made a difference would have been serious investment in renewable energy right because in terms of the global economy that is something that's necessary and it's something Britain could have taken a lead on. And they could have created thousands of apprenticeships and well-paid jobs that could last for the next 20, 30 years, and then built it off the back of that. One of the big problems and we discussed it in the interview with Paul is that that was, again, very technocratic and very top-down. It didn't actually involve people. And because of that, that was part of the reason why it didn't capture the imagination. People didn't feel like it belonged to them.
4: Yeah. The, the, the whole overall strategy for that, for the... Uh, the, the, the the next industrial revolution uh, the green industrial revolution the whole strategy behind that i think was uh fundamentally correct like the the the, the practice uh, the practices in place for the things that they need to create like um, they need to be mining more lithium, they need to be creating more batteries, they need to be setting up like um, more recycling centers. You know, like the whole process around that is not just that you still have to open more mines. You want to be mining more ore, you know? Like there's a lot of industry built around that. There was a whole tactic. It's just how they conveyed that, in my opinion, which was overall flaw. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, 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 it's, it it's trying to... They have a strategy, but it did come top down. No matter what, it did come top down. It didn't come from the local each each individual area. What did you want? Did, what? What more do you want in your area? Like in my Sea from the cross across the coast of Hartlepool, for example, all of the wind turbines and we have them in in inland, and we have a few solar farms, for example. What I would have loved is uh, for that to be extended up the course of the coastline for example just little things like that um and, and we already know um there's a lot of geothermal um energy still sucked underneath our feet due to the, the the mines that have been left down there from the coal mining revo- uh, 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 the, the the industrial revolution the coal mining era so what we can do is go down there and you know, create some geothermal energy and it's free, free heating for homes. Mm -hmm. Like we could be doing that type of stuff. The scientific research is all out there. It's just, it hasn't been actioned upon because it doesn't make money for people. It's just because that energy is free. They're like, how can we make some money off it before they even look at it? And that's the problem. It's not coming from the people. It's coming from people from the top and outside interest.
0: Yeah. I've got a few uh, questions coming in from the chat. Um, One is, can you recommend a book to read on the proper history of the Labour Party, please? I can't. I don't know one that's going to do it. It's kind of an amalgamation and you learn more and more from different (laughs) books, is is, is my opinion, but I don't know if there's one definitive version that would really tell you a lot. And we've also got... um, someone who's asking about the socialist movement in bangladesh uh isa i think i hope i hope i'm getting the pronunci- pronunciation right pronunciation is my uh, big bugbear um i really worry about it my uh, uh he says uh i think i think yeah it's He. um my opinion is my country's socialists have a big problem with their work ethic
2: okay so I don't know, Jeb but on on the books about Labour, there's a book by Tony Cliff and Donny Gluckstein called The Marxist History of the Labour Party, which which is worth a look. Um, bearing in mind these guys were in the SWP and they come out of a very particular perspective, but it is useful. Um, I mentioned one earlier by Theodore Rotstein, which is from Chartism to Labourism, which is about the founding of the Labour Party in the early years. And there's some really good stuff. Um, I can send links. If you want, uh, Paul and Socialist Think Tank could share them. There was really yep. good debates in the 80s, uh, well, 60s, 60, 70s and 80s on the Labour Party and Labourism. And it's one of those things we did with the Beehive in Manchester because a lot of people had just come out with a Corbyn thing and I sort of suggested this article from 1964 and it could have been written the day after the general election 2019. It was all the same things. And this is one of the really important, as I said, I, I... I'm not in Labour, I, I don't think the prospects for developing socialist and working class politics in Labour is very um, positive, but I respect people that stay in there. I think the thing is, is to understand the history of it and understand the nature of the politics you're involved in. And there's the thing around Starmer and that, like Starmer shouldn't have come as a surprise to anyone, not just him as an individual, but the sort of politics he represented. Corbyn really was an aberration in the history of the Labour Party, a fluke, a historical one-off produced by Ed Miliband's sort of uh, flippancy around changing the rules about who could vote in leadership elections, those three-pound memberships or five-pound memberships or whatever it was. and Just, hey, Corbyn just, just, just... a
0: quick one, is it was that arrogance around the... Or was that something like Ed Miliband thought, yeah, this is a really good idea, and everyone around him went, yeah, that would be a really good idea because they didn't think they... They, they thought everyone else thought like them as neoliberals.
2: So there was a there's, a there's a guy called Peter Mayer who's written a really good book called Rule in the Void. Uh, and this shows how in Western democracies over the last forty years there's been a dual movement of electorates withdrawn from uh electoral politics and electoral parties withdrawn from the electorate right so and again he, he he maps the evidence right across western europe and america and so forth and shows this has been a fo- this is why the brexit vote was so important it was the single biggest yep. democratic vote in british history yep. uh, and that's what was significant so i think with people like uh, ed miliband there was a lot of liberal scholarship around the need to encourage participation And I think that this initiative to um, allow for those £3 memberships and so forth was just half thought true. I don't think they fully anticipated or understood the possibility of the the, the, the crisis of capitalism producing an appetite for someone like Corbyn and that fundamentally transforming what was going on in Labour for for that period of time, because they just assumed that the Blairite revolution had been successful, Labour was on that trajectory, because that's what every... Every sister party of the Labour Party around Europe is on the same trajectory. They've all, all the historic social democratic parties, the SPD, the Socialists in France, the they've all capitulated. They've all collapsed. Their vote is down to twenty percent, but they're locked into this model of professional careerist politicians managing the ship with no real ideas how to change that and around because they're ultimately committed to the same politics. as My they.
4: question is though, in the in in in, well, I'd say for me is it. it uh, <laughs> Is what other alternative is there? Because every other alternative I see at the moment is either a vanity project. Yeah, yeah. Don't mean to name them like you do, <laughs> yeah. but a lot of them are. There's quite a few. There's not oh, just yeah. one. Um, there's a lot of vanity projects out there at the moment, which do, has taken away um a lot of support from Labour since uh, the collapse of Jeremy Corbyn, um in 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 UK politics, um. But overall, what, I, what what I'm trying to say is I, I, I don't see any other alternative other than Labour. So what other alternative do we have other than steer in Labour? And that's my argument of always why I've personally stayed mm. in Labour, and I've always uh, like I've always sat on the sidelines. I've looked at politics and then got really involved when Jeremy Corbyn came in. And then, other than that, now it's the only reason I'm staying. Is I, I do see people who fight for it, who have been here for absolutely mm-hmm. literally 40 plus years, and they have like, all the same uh, fundamental foundations as I do, and all all the same ideals. And it, it, they are the ones keeping me in. Nothing else. Mm-hmm. And it's just I think this is a vi- labour is the vehicle, on the only alternative vehicle in the UK
1: mm-hmm.
4: um, at the moment. Whether or not that changes, I don't see. I don't see it happening within our. Uh, yeah. well, I would say within the next decade or two, I don't see it happening because nobody's produced themselves yeah. basically um, as a credible
2: alternative. I don't know. So I don't, do you? What do you want? Do you want to say anything on that, Paul? Or no,
0: no. Um, I, I'm interested in what's coming in on the chat. Um, so Carr was saying. Uh, you back to bangladesh a little Oh yeah bit. sorry um our socialist people start their work by attacking religious sentiment rather than teaching us justice and i don't really know and i don't expect any of us on this call to know enough yeah. about bangladesh's um particular circumstances to to comment too much on that but it's really interesting though um that we're talking about bangladesh and you know um and and there's been so much like British imperialism mm-hmm. has affected Bangladesh so much. And we've also, um, he mentions his country's kind of religious. And then uh, Musa, friend of the show, is saying, what are vanity projects?
2: Well, then to go back to James's point then about what's the alternative to, to labour, I suppose it may, and, and to use the metaphor of a vehicle, I suppose it depends on where you want to get to. I mean, if you're if talking about vehicles, so right, if, if the main focus is elections, and if the main focus is possibly forming a national government uh, of some sort, irrespective of what the content of that government is, if the main focus is forming a government, then yeah, Labour is the only vehicle. But that's not how you advance socialism. That's not how you advance independent, working class politics. Again, I, I mentioned that earlier. And again, I, I like you, I know lots of people who are staying in Labour who I respect. Uh, Laura is one of them, but there are many others who I, who I sort of have a lot of respect for. Um, but fundamentally, the stay and fight thing was just staying capitulate. There was no fight. I know some people got readmitted yesterday or the day before, but they shouldn't have been suspended in the first place. And so, if you fought to get overturned something that shouldn't have happened, and now you think it's a victory, they are back to where you were before you started. But yet, the former leader of the party, who galvanized the whole movement around the idea of a modest form of social democratic transformation, has had the whip withdrawn and won't get it back. And nobody within the party has done that about it, aside from the classic petitions. And if petitions. And also, also horses-
0: they were reprimanded as well, those people. Yeah, they I did. They,
2: they, they, they didn't. Get back in
0: with uh, no, no case no, to no. answer or anything. No, it's this like wristband kind wristband of wristband. awful thing. Yeah, and yeah. and, and uh, this was one of the things that shocked me about the Labour Party movement being a trade unionist. Um, the, the, you know there was no natural justice whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Is like we will decree whether you're a member or not or, or not. Mm-hmm. And if you if we you haven't broken the rules, we won't say that you haven't broken the rules. You're fine. You haven't done anything wrong. We'll yeah. say. You know, you shouldn't have been investigated in the first place. It's like mm. the idea of you being investigated for something, doing something wrong, is a slur on your exactly character. You know,
4: like the same thing currently is happening at the moment with uh, community, the the community organizers. They really don't care. Um, that was setting in the Jeremy Corbyn era, where the, the community organizer uh, organizers uh, set in place, and they're all just firing them yeah. in the middle of the pandemic. And the only thing about uh, that I've noticed with the Labour Party is they're the only ones who are doing that. The trade Mm -hmm. unions are not doing it. The Mm -hmm. trade unions are opening doors. They're opening more positions. They're inviting people in, more support, you know, that type of thing. Because they know know people are suffering. They know people need the help. And and now is the best time to open doors if there has ever been any.
2: No, and the thing about the Community Organising Unit is that that's partly a factional thing. So again, as you said, it was brought in under Corbyn, but it's also because the the actual actually existing Labour Party over the course of its history, this Community Organising Unit is anathema to it. That sort of politics isn't what the Labour Party is about. It's not mm-hmm. what it's ever been about, except for that brief moment with Corbyn, when Corbyn was in there. But to go back to that point about alternatives and vehicles, again, it depends on what you want to achieve. So again, Labour is the only electoral vehicle if you want to get into government, right? But what would a Labour Party in government look like in 10 years' time? You know, 10 years' time after the sort of consolidation of what Starmer has done, there's no pushback from the left within the party in any meaningful sense, you know what I mean? there's lots of people leaving, as you said, joining these vanity projects like the Worker okay. Party, and other initiatives which again unfortunately will take up a lot of time so, and energy for people so quickly
0: what is, vanity, it. what is a vanity what oh, is a vanity
2: project by, by vanity project to answer the question it means it's something i think uh, sorry james used it but i'd use the same expression it's something that's driven by a particular individual's strong personality but has no real social basis and no real political project and in the cases of the workers party it's george galloway who um is one of the best public speakers in British political life. He's a great orator, but there's no substance to the Workers' Party GB. It's just a vanity project built around his personality. And on Bangladesh, I'm afraid I don't know enough about, um, aside from knowing a little bit about some of the really good militancy and organisation uh, in the textile industry uh, by the workers there and some of the horrendous uh, sort of tragedies that have happened there in the last few years, I don't know enough about the politics of Bangladesh to be able to comment on that.
0: Um, yeah, so the, the the comments back on that are, uh, a a good thank you for what are vanity projects. Um, can Paul continue on alternatives to electoralism, and um, and uh, from Isa, Isa, I, I, I hope that's the correct correct pron- pronunciation. <laughs> um, I see Western socialism movement is a pack of intelligent intellectual. And my country is one full of. Doesn't finish that sentence, but um, it sounds like he's saying that uh, that it's a bluff, like the socialists in in Bangladesh are a bluff, maybe. Yeah, I'm, I'm guessing.
1: So, I don't know. Again, you know
0: I'm, don't I'm know. really interested in this. I might in, might investigate this after, and please. Do I don't know the the,
4: the the politics of uh, other countries in that respect, especially like Bangladesh and stuff. Um, I I am nowhere involved or understanding in like trade unions, for example, in those areas. I know like trade unions can be abused in other countries, depending on um the, the, where they are at. Um, it, 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 it can be abused even in, in in Western countries as well, just as much. You know, um, it, it's just all about checks and balances. Uh, checks and balances.
0: I think I need well, to think about the health and well-being of uh, the people on this call. So I'm going to call uh, call a close at um, maybe eleven fifteen. Is that okay? Yeah, sounds good. Sounds good. And uh, so we've, we've got a couple in since I've said that. Um, so as I said, can Paul continue all, on alternatives to electoralism? And we've had a cracker in as well from uh, Mark Ratigan, who's a student I used to teach. He's not a student anymore. He, he works in a school himself. Uh, really, really good, solid, solid lad. Um, how do you advance a socialist society without your hands on the UK treasury? Mm-hmm. Without political power? I don't see how we bring about the real positive change for working people. Surely any Labour labor
4: government is better than a Tory one. Mm-hmm. That's where the vehicle part, I think, came into play. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Is where I was on about it's the only vehicle. Well, you've got to be there to be able to change the apparatus. You've got to be in the power to be able to change it. It's, but it's not all about the power power changes in the apparatus anyway, because you got to, there's a there's a ladder client to get before you get there. And there's compromises you've got to make before you get there, the majority of the time, especially in, in Western politics. And then, um, yeah, kind of lost me train of thought a little, but it, the, I, I think there's a lot of compromises. You do need to get into that position of power, but there's a fundamental change in society's consciousness that needs to occur. Before we can fundamentally change the apparatus, um, that we're actually up against, I uh, the, yeah. the the turning cycles of elections and you know I'll the focus do, on all of that. I'll so just on, do a
0: really quick uh, one on on this one. A really quick one. Yeah. Um, I don't think the UK system is set up to be changed. Yeah. They didn't set up the system of Westminster, that massive authority power, that big building, that thing that makes working class people feel uncomfortable. I don't think it is set up to be changed. Mm-hmm. It's set up to resist change. Yeah, yeah So electoralism is not necessarily the best way to go about things. You can't just elect MPs. you know, yeah. even the Labour Party're trying to resist working class yeah. MPs. To from ever be getting a chance to get into that thing, like you know, like there's a filtration, like there's there's a filter before you get there. I would say,
2: yeah, yeah. But so, Paul, you
0: you were asked the question specifically, so
2: no. So it's a it's a good question, right? And I and I think again, this is where the political education side becomes in, not just political education, but more broadly, a sort of socialist um perspective and a Marxist understanding of the nature of power and the nature of the state. It's about how you understand power, right? So there's a, there's a guy called Isfan Mazaros who was a really good writer. Well, sorry, a really intelligent guy, but a bit of a tortured writer sometimes. And he had this expression. He says, capitalism is the extra parliamentary force par excellence and socialism has to be equal to that. Right? So what he means by that is that power within capitalist societies isn't in parliament and it's not in ministers. If that just looks like it. That's just, the, and, and sorry, so that's Mazaros, who can be a bit heavy-handed. Uh, Hilary Mantel, Bring Up the Bodies, you probably read this book, there was a TV series around it and so forth, uh, and the line in that was, you think that power is in castles and ramparts and things, it's not, it's in the counting houses of Venice, right, and the point there again is that it's how we understand power, right, so here's a here's a concrete recent example, this government has absolutely fucked the handling of COVID at every level right it's it's sort of it, it's it's spent billions on projects that go nowhere it's cancelled and rushed the end of the lockdown too soon it's fucked up the ppe it's messed up the excuse my french it's messed up the um rollout of a whole variety of different responses right now the labor party has been toothless in the face of it You've got a number of Labour MPs in there, they've done nothing except cheerlead the government's response and sort of shadow it and back it and, you know, do absolutely nothing. What's the one thing that has happened in the last year that has quite likely saved lives? It was the NEU refusing to send its members back to work when the government wanted to do it. That's power. That's the power of an organised working class. Taking a stand on an issue and forced the government to change its policy, which might have cost lives. So the thing is, a lot before um, that, leading
4: up to that, with the trade unions, yeah, there was a lot of that with the teacher trade unions. Just yeah, exactly. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. I think there was a lot big campaign to discredit them as well.
2: Massively, exactly. The The government doesn't bother discrediting the Labour Party because they're not scared of them. An organised trade union in the in the form of the NEU, who were ready to oppose what they were doing, the government and the media has tried to discredit them. So I think we have to have a conversation about power. And the question was, um, how do you advance socialism without having your hands on the uh, exchequer? But again, it's about how you understand socialism. So if you if you if you thought it was just legislating and sort of redistributing the existing pie, then yeah, absolutely. And again, sorry, I should just say I'm not saying electoralism isn't part of it. I'm saying that electoralism is a lesser part of it than people currently think it is. And that what we should be doing is building up trade unions, community organizations, independent sites of working class organization, where people start doing things like, for example, in Brazil before Bolsonaro came into power, you had participatory budgeting. So people around Durham, for example, rather than the council saying, here's the budget for the year, people in the area would form committees in the local area, would say, what do we think is important, right? Now, through that, you empower people. And we're talking about power here. And what is power? Unionizing people, getting more people in the unions, but also changing the unions. Our unions have become decrepit over the last 40 years because of the defeats we've suffered as a class. So we need to change our unions. The unions have to become democratized, have to become more militant. So if, I'm, if you ask me what am I doing with my time and energy as somebody committed to a socialist society, I'm putting my time and energy into union work, Into political education, in the community organizing, because that's what I see as crucial rather than the electoralism. And the point is, and again, every socialist and every Marxist in the early 19th and the 20th century understood this. The point is that the election side of it is the echo of the battle. Once you've built your numbers, once you've marshaled your forces, then when you contest the election and win the election, you're in the capacity to back up what you said you'd do. You got the capacity and the power to back up what you said you do. Whereas we said, if Corbyn had been elected, if he'd if he'd managed to get in in 2017 by pure fluke, the attacks that he would have been subjected to, and the movement would have been subjected to, and because we didn't have a movement outside of Parliament ready to support that, we wouldn't have been able to back him up as a class. He would have been absolutely torn asunder. So you build that base. I think we discussed this in the interview. Paul, I gave the example of Bolivia, which is a very good recent example. In Bolivia, the European Union, who all the EU flag shaggers love but know nothing about, the (laughs) European Union and the US backed a coup against a democratic government in Bolivia. Anybody who knows that about the history of Latin America knows how that script works. There's a US-backed coup, there's a right-wing assault on trade unions and working-class communities, and there's a dictatorship for 10, 15, 20 years. It didn't happen this time. Within a year, the movement, the MAS, pushed back won all the elections, expelled the coup leaders, brought Morales back. And the reason they did that is because before they were a party that contested elections, they had built a social base of indigenous communities, workers, trade unionists, and they'd done political education for years. So they were solid. They didn't break when the assault happened. They took the blows, they regathered, and they came back again. So I just think it's about different understandings of power and different understandings about what we're trying to achieve. See so we've got like within the within the
0: trade union movement we've got people who don't understand anything. Like I I've, I've been to so many trade union events and 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 we did speak about this um, outside of the interview about how when I turned up at uh, so my a little bit about my history I won a trade union award when I was younger yeah. and someone fought for that. Like there was a, a, a sue foreman who is a you know a really really good solid trade unionist fought for me to be able to win this award um, for the trade union because the trade union had set up an award for young members to be able to, to you know have a voice but what they wanted was someone who's just like fitting in with the system and I'd organised a strike within my uh, within my workplace and I'm like bloody hell don't have a strike. Don't have a strike you know that that is not what we what we want to promote which you know locally my union is extremely good at organizing that but you know it's that kind of how do we deal with um people who really don't want to rock the boat within trade unionism would be my point there
2: you empower people who will I mean, that, that's part of it. You know what I mean? You, you, so so again, like within trade union bureaucracies, within the, the main trade unions in Britain, there are some excellent people who are in there because of political commitment and so forth. And then there are other people who have just gone through the motions and are sort of career orientated and who have no interest in rocking the boat in any way, shape or form, and will do the sort of bread and butter stuff uh, that trade union sort of bureaucrats do. But so so at the, late, at the end of the late 70s, um, I can't remember the woman's name who wrote this book. There's a book called Ramparts of Resistance about trade unions in Britain and the, and the US and that. But in the late 60s, early 70s, there was an awful lot of strike action in Britain. Most of it was illegal. Most of it was grassroots trade unionists in the workplace going, we're not having this or we're not having that and coming out on strike. And that was because there was a close relationship between union officials and the membership and there was that sort of organic link this is why the fight against the miners was so important. And in a place like Durham, you obviously know this history better than I do. This is why Thatcher mobilized MI5, the media, the entire British state to break the miners. Because it wasn't just about beating the miners, it was about breaking the British working class as an organized force. That's why it was so important. That's why they still vilify Arthur Scargill today. So, they still attack them and they still sort of caricature them and lampoon them because you had to break that. You had to break that idea that the working class could say, we're not having this, we're going to do things differently. And most of the miners understood that, and Scargill understood that uh, at the time. And so, where we are now, we're 40 years after that, we're 40 years, the trade unions being co opted, being bought into all sorts of forms of social partnership, the EU played a big role in this, being flown out trade union officials to Brussels and to Luxembourg and having meals and staying in five-star hotels and thinking that's all about being friends with the bosses and cutting deals and sorting it out. And then you have workers who've seen falling real wages for the last 20 years, who've seen insecurity in employment, who've seen the pressure they're under. I mean, who works a 40 hour a week anymore? Even if you're not in the job, you're on the job. It's in your head. You never switch off. I mean, people are working 60, 70-hour weeks. Trade union membership has halved. Trade union militancy has declined. So the only way to rebuild that is by going to those people who will do it. And again, these these will be people, and this is part of the politics we have to get into again, these will be people you won't agree with on everything. You know what I mean? Uh, Some of them might have arseholes backwards racist views some of them may have different views like sexist views and stuff like that And you can't get in there and sort of moralize them and call them fascists and tell them to run away you have to build that power and then break that stuff down by confronting them you have to then have those arguments and have those it's the only way to do it you know and it's a slow process and it's a frustrating process but the only way the unions will fight for us is when the members are leading the unions and that in part is what happened with the neu with this initiative because again you're a teacher, Paul, uh, so you know the NEU hasn't covered itself in glory in the last 25, 30 20 years, but in the last year and a half, it's been fantastic. And that's been in part because of grassroots members pushing the union and sort of making demands around safety of safety of staff or safety of students and so forth, and pushing them and forcing the union to take that initiative that the NEU, on a, of its own volition, might not have done previously. So that's the only way, it's the only way to change it. And again, the, the, the serious problem we have now—I think we said this in the, maybe in one of the outtakes of the interview or something like that—I'd love us to have a, a, a sort of national strike tomorrow. You know what I mean, I'd love us to have a general strike, but it's not going to happen. We're, we're we're at a stage now of having to do the slow, laborious work of rebuilding people's confidence, of giving going back to some of the stuff James said earlier about the things that people take for granted and so forth. We're going to have to get the people to the stage now of going, you know, you deserve better than this you're entitled to better than this, not as a sort of consumer, but you're entitled to better this as somebody who's part of a class and part of a history, part of a movement. We all deserve better than this. Your kids deserve better than this. And if we don't do anything about it now, it's just going to get worse. Uh, I think we might have mentioned in, in the interview, but we definitely did it in the political education project. Rosa Luxemburg, who was a Polish uh, communist and Marxist just before the outbreak of World War One, said the choice for us all was socialism or barbarism. And the choice then that was made was barbarism. And we saw what World War I was, what the depression was, what World War II was. But now look at the world we live in. Look at Britain, you know, 14 million people in poverty, you know, 4 million kids not being fed properly in the fifth wealthiest country in the world. You know, you look at this pandemic now and how it's playing out in terms of geopolitics. The West has more vaccines than it can use and administer, but they're slow in getting them out to other parts of the world. This is barbarism. Barbarism isn't someone doing something specifically horrible. It's a system that lets kids die, that lets people go hungry, that lets suicide rates go through the roof and says that's just life. That's the barbarism. We can do better than that. Sorry. Non-Ager
0: apologize. Well, you need to apologise. I was just going to say that Paul never needs to apologise. That's why uh, I said
4: there's no need to apologise. Ah, <laughs> oh, right,
2: okay.
0: okay. So we're I haven't gonna,
2: we're, in, about, in about a year and I've had three beers now, so now I'm talking more than I should be. So.
0: To be honest, I, I, I hope this Zoom lasts forever, but we're going we're gonna to finish <laughs> the official part of it in uh, five minutes' time. We're getting loads of comments in, loads of positive things. I think it's absolutely brilliant to see people from around the world getting involved with this. The flag shaggers got a particular laugh, uh, which is a uh, which is a good which is a good thing. I don't think we should be afraid of speaking in our own dialect. You know our own language, the way the way people of the working class speak. Like, yeah. you know, the, the posh people are allowed to say their ridiculous things that like oh dither and delay and that kind yeah. of thing, and and that means nothing to anyone else. So why shouldn't we be able to call someone something? Yeah you know, I find that particularly uh, annoying when people uh, denigrate that kind of language we should be yeah. able to do that so 100%. I'm going to ask I'm going to I'm going to ask us to kind of sum up our feelings about like you know what are we going to do what is the important thing to do obviously it's education education around you know what how do we continue to do this how do we continue to build i'll also say from a from a like perspective of socialist think tank please do like share and subscribe to everything we do get this out there if you like this then please share it because that is you know th- that is the kind of grassroots mo- movement that we need to support we are not doing this for any other reason than to spread the word of socialism the same as um Polit- uh, the political education project so please do do that but um james i'll bring you in and then i'll bring paul into close who's been the star of the show tonight and everyone loves him so you know not that everyone doesn't love you as well james but you know. oh no
4: it's fine it's uh, uh, to be honest he has been the star of the show and he's entranced me and in, uh, in our conversations tonight you know um well, I would like to say is, uh, well, uh, d- d- make sure you share, subscribe. This is what we're all about. Um, I would like to thank Paul uh, O'Connell for everything he does on the political education project. I would like to thank Laura for coming on tonight. Also, uh, I know she had to leave, but um, it- we. this is just the after show, right? So um, I think tonight's been uh, very educational for me um, and insightful and i hope others found the same thing the only other thing is i would i would like to give a shout out to everybody who who's been commenting um the questions have been great i'd just like to touch on one on youtube where paul smith said uh, thatcher hated the working class but the terrible irony is that the working class actually voted for her kind of agree um that is the terrible irony of that situation um and, 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 but then like i said history there's a lot of lessons to learn and uh, education is a fundamental part of that i do think um we need to take advantage of um technology a hell of a lot more than what we we have done in the past um the, as a movement and uh, use all forms of new media and uh, or extend arms out as many to, to as many pots as possible where audiences are to try and get them involved and to learn about politics not just as within your communities, but also online. I think that's very important nowadays, especially with everything that's going on in COVID. That's
2: me. I go. agree Paul. completely with James. Uh, thanks for having me on. And just to say, and again, I. So as a general rule, I'm 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 not a favour of of sort of podcasts and stuff as such, but I think that what the socialist think is doing is phenomenally important, and also the people involved with it are are just sort of excellent, genuine, working class socialists. So do you know get on board, subscribe, and the fact that they've stepped up of their own volition and and sort of recorded the audio recordings to make the political education more more accessible. There's a big lot of work, and again, it's something we might have thought of in two months' time but at the end, this is the value of this project that it's working class people from around Britain and Ireland coming together and going, you know what? And it goes back to something Laura said earlier and all sort of and stuff I mentioned. Like part of the premise of what we do is that working class people have the answers to what's going on in their lives. They don't have the confidence necessarily to be able to articulate that, but there's a whole set of systemic forces that make it that way. Do you know what I mean? Like I come from a family where every every male in my family, except for me, so father, Two brothers, cousins, uncles has been to prison, except me. Do you know what I mean? And and I'm the, I was the fourth male in the family to finish secondary school, and again that's not just me as an individual. That's structural. That that's how this system works. It beats us down as a class. It's sort of. Um, it, this de-skills us and, and sort of rips us of the idea that we have a say in how things should be and we have a way of understanding things. Going back to what you said, Paul, about the vernacular, you know, it makes us think that our accents don't fit and what we have to say doesn't work, you know what I mean? And so part of what we're trying to do with the Public Education Project is turning all of that on its head, you know what I mean? And going back to people and saying, you know this. And again, I understand some of the jargon is specific, Hal Draper was, came out of a sort of Trotskyist movement in the mid mid 20th century. It has a particular language. Conley has a particular language. We can throw all that away so long as we catch the ideas and take what's useful from them and apply them to where we are today and use our own language and make it work for us in our own way. And I think that what we're going to try and do on PEP is play a part in that. I think what Socialist Think Tank is doing plays a part in that. I think there are other groups. Um, there's the Ella Baker School. There's the Marx Memorial Library. through the trade unions. The Baker's Union is fantastic. CWU, Unite. There are unions out there doing really good work. And then local communities and tenants associations in Manchester. I'm sure up in the Northeast as well. ACORN and people like this. There's all sorts of stuff happening. We just have to be alive to that. And again, this is the one thing I'd say. I don't knock anyone for staying in the Labour Party. It's not for me, for a whole set of reasons. I'm not in there. I won't put time and energy into that. I know people will do it, but I'd say do it with eyes open and ask yourself what's important to you. So we're talking about vehicles, right? Grand, a car might make sense, but if you want to get somewhere else, you're going to need a boat or an airplane or something else. You know what I mean? So think about the vehicle think about where you want to get to and then decide where you want to put your time and energy if you want to come and do stuff for us the political education project please do get in touch socialist think tank again getting get involved with them and what they're doing your local tenants union whatever it is there's other ways of advancing it the key thing is is that and i think i said this in the interview that we're facing a very serious crisis and nobody's coming to save us not jeremy corbyn not AOC, not the British AOC in five years. Nobody's coming to save us except us, and that's the entire working class and all its diversity pulling together and turning things upside down so that we improve our situation. Sorry,
0: Never apologise. So uh, you don't you don't have anything to apologise for. Thank you so much for everyone who's who's uh, watched this, who's listened. Um, we really appreciate it because that's the important thing. It is. It's not about us. It's about you. And I hope this means that in the future you will think actually my opinion is important. My opinion matters. My opinion will shape the future. That is the important thing. So that I think that's what we'll leave it on. Uh, thank you so much for all your comments from around the world. It's been really really uh, appreciated and kinda of humbling as well when people, you know, get get involved and, and speak about what their own experiences are. And uh, we'll hope to see you next time and don't forget to like and share and subscribe to everything because you know the there is a paid algorithm going on in this and you can sort of defeat it if you do this for us. If you can do one thing, share this video, share like you know, like it. That does help a lot so please do that to please do that we're not going to do the whole um owen jones donate thing that like you know before they get into every single thing like please give us money please give us money we're not going to do that we are some like volunteers from the northeast of england but you know, you know that's not said. what we're about <laughs> that, then, then, no no, no there, 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 is, there is a mechanism to do that, but that's not what we're about. No. Send, all a to do
2: Send all your cryptocurrency to socialist thing tank. <laughs>
0: <laughs> right. Brilliant. Thank you so much. And thank you, Paul, and, and you uh too. and, and, for and me we'll definitely uh we'll definitely uh pester you again to come on.
2: Anytime
1: slant we'll keep the red flag flying here